Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. We are shifting into our off-season mode, sort of here, <laughs> the draft over, draft weekend wrapped. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dane Brugler, producer Kent Garrison, and just knock out a few of the uh, formalities here right out of the gate. Still running our 90-day free trial on theathletic.com. So you can head over to theathletic.com. You can also get 40% off a subscription by going to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros. That gets you access to everything on our site, including Dane's draft guide, which, as I've mentioned, is still very useful as you're sort of recapping this draft and looking ahead to all these uh, undrafted free agent signings and hopefully uh, some version of the offseason programs and training camps eventually. Uh, so you get access to that as a subscriber well worth it to be self-congratulatory here for a second i don't know that i can't imagine there's another spot out there that covered the draft as extensively as we did at the athletic between the the team sites uh all the college uh, writers pitched in podcast network dane just cranked out content upon content there's so much there still that you can go back and and check out and and read through because we've got some time now obviously until uh, guys get back on the field so I want to make sure uh, you all go do that. And then just a thank you quickly to everyone who, who's who been with us through this whole journey, especially, you know, started listening back when we launched the Prospects to Pros podcast uh, way back at the start of the year and then uh, has stuck with us through these all these months. So we thank, thank all of you. Thank everyone who's jumped on board along the way too, especially over these past two or three weeks and uh, signed up to get the, the beast from Dane and whatever else you might have found on the website. So we really... Really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. And like I said, we'll, we'll sort of drift into the offseason a little bit here. It'll quiet down from us a bit, but uh, we're certainly hopeful we can do it again next year and for next draft. So that's probably enough for me off the top here. Dane, uh, let you hop in if you got any thoughts as we start to uh, you know look ahead a little bit more. No, and just quickly to echo on what you were saying, it's just it's the the response from the beast and this all of our coverage was just so awesome. It, it's so much fun to debate these guys. Um, you know, I, it, it's great when you don't always agree with me, uh, you know, anybody, uh, because then it, it's it's fun conversation about why a player is good or why he isn't. And so that's what I love about the draft process. Trust your eyes and your evaluation skills and let's talk about these guys so it's uh, it's a lot of fun and just a special special thank you to all of you uh all, all of our uh, uh subscribers and uh listeners of this podcast so and thanks to kent behind the scenes and, and you chris for for this it's been awesome but yeah it's i mean as we kind of recap this you yeah. know it's the, the draft was you know we kind of we touched on this in our recaps but it's kind of funny how it went so it was chalk for so long and then once we got to day two and then day three, things were kind of get shook up, shook up a little bit. Um, I know I did. I hate doing grades. <laughs> I know. I mean, I get it. A lot of people do them, and I, I understand. What I like to do is kind of I just list my one through thirty-two, kind of my favorite draft classes. And li- this doesn't mean these are like the thirty-two best draft classes. Just kind of my thirty-two favorite. I really like what they did um, from a value standpoint. I really like what they did in terms of the talent that they added. Um, to the roster and in, in accordance with what they needed, you know, it's, it's, and these are, these things are very self-serving and trust me that that is not lost on me. It's very subjective, but that's what kind of makes it fun to talk about and debate. And so with my rankings, it started off with the Ravens. I just, I loved what they did at the top. Um, and it's, it's kind of crazy that they didn't pick in the, until the 28th in the first round. But when you consider uh, they're able to get Patrick queen there, JK Dobbins in the second three or four third round picks, um, just really like the value of all those guys. And then even on the day three, James Prochet to get him in the sixth. And, you know, the Ravens are a team that will sit and wait and just allow good teams to get to them. Uh, but in the sixth, they traded a future draft pick to go up and get Prochet. So that just tells you how much they they thought that, you know, to, to get him outside the top 200 picks was just a steal. So uh, just a, a really nice job by the Ravens. And to round out my top three, I thought the Cowboys at number two, I had the Browns at number three. Uh, the Cowboys, to get CeeDee Lamb at, at in the first round is just ridiculous. And then to get Trevon Diggs, who they were considering at 17, to get him in the second was a great uh, a great pick. And then in the fourth round, Reggie Robinson, uh, not a huge fan of Tyler Biotish, um with the injury stuff, but you know it's we'll see if they can 
strike gold there with another Wisconsin center. Uh, but then getting Bradley and Nye in the fifth, yeah. just a uh, ridiculous value for them. So that was a big reason why the Cowboys were two. And then the Browns at number one or at number three, Jedrick Wills, I've, I've talked at length about about him. Um, I thought they had the best tackle in the draft. And they get Grant, Grant Delpit in the second. Love that value. Um, didn't love the Jacob Phillips pick. I thought he there were better linebackers on the board. But then in the third, or on day three, to get Harrison Bryant in the fourth, who I think is going to uh, make, you know, David Njoku is already expendable, but I think this is going to make that even, even more the case. Nick Harrison, the fifth, who maybe two rounds later than he should have gone. And then Peoples-Jones in the sixth, just a, a traits-based player with loads of talent that in the sixth round, yeah, roll the dice on a guy like that. So those are my top three teams in terms of just my favorite draft classes. Any huge disagreements uh, there, Chris? No, not really for me up top. I mean, that Baltimore draft was kind of silly just sitting there watching. and It felt like every round I was sitting there thinking, like, how has this guy not been picked yet? And then Baltimore would take him. And it just was crazy. Like, I think, you know, those guys you mentioned, like Bredesen in the fourth feels like he's a guy yeah. who could step in and start if he needed him to. Um, Geno Stone at 219 is crazy. I mean, I know he didn't test well. I know he didn't measure well. But, like, in terms of the smarts, the instincts, he's a guy that you think probably can be on the field pretty early and can make an impact. He's just a really solid player on the back end. And I thought he was going to be a match for a few teams a lot earlier on day three. I thought he was going to be, like, a round five guy maybe if he laid it that long. So to get him in the seventh – uh, is just incredible value. Was that like there was that stretch? I think it was Geno Stone, and then KJ Hill went back to back in the seventh. Yes, it's like, yeah. what are we doing here? <laughs> like, how does this happen? Um, right. So yeah, I can't argue with with Baltimore there. And the same thing, like Bradley and I was another one of those guys that I thought was, especially looking at you know as I do with the Lions stuff. He was a guy for me that I was looking. They had the two picks on in the third round, and I thought they might use one of them. Uh, on him so for to go at 179 uh is really good value and then uh, yeah i mean the browns one is interesting to me because um obviously it started well jordan elliott at 88 could be a guy that helps him um but the bryant people's jones thing on day three is interesting because we saw a few teams do this where um not just tight end wide receiver but uh, really doubling up on sort of athletic pass catchers in this draft um and and i think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because we talked about the depth especially at wide receiver uh and like jacksonville you have as your your fifth class went with chenault in the second and then came back and got colin johnson uh you know big receiver on the outside denver as we talked about went uh you know judy hamler so uh that was really interesting to me to see them go uh with harrison bryan who could be a really interesting uh pass catching tool for them and then people's jones who i think uh you know uh, we'll see on him but certainly there's athleticism to bet on um i do want to you know i hated do it when i used to have to do the grades too i hated it too and it got i got into the i had to do you know the straight grades and i think i got kind of caught in the routine of not really going below a c because i (laughs) i felt there had to be reasons that players were going to teams so um i understand your predicament here but i do want to go down to the bottom because um again you know they're even at 32 i mean you're i'm looking at 32 and you've highlighted a couple guys with that you've atlanta down there um but You've you've spotlighted a couple of guys like Marlon Davidson at forty seven. I think is a really good pick, as you mentioned. Yeah, it was. You mentioned Michael Walker, who's going to be at mm-hmm. least a really good special teams guy. I think you know. So and and Matt Hennessy too. You know that's right. that's someone. I don't know. I mean, he seems like he could play early if they need him to, but certainly someone that you can develop and use as a backup lineman on the interior. So there's value in all these classes certainly and uh you know just to kind of reemphasize your point but let's i guess let's hit on that one why what about that atlanta class you know kind of soured you on it a little bit yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because i even said in the intro like i don't think any of these teams just bombed and had a terrible haul of, of picks i mean i think each team 
uh, when you look at their classes, each each one has merit in terms of what you liked about it. And so, you know, I know fan, it's kind of lost on fans. They see their team ranked 29 or 32 and they just, you know, they're up in arms about it. But, you know, somebody has to be there. And I don't think any of these teams just completely were terrible. But when you look at the Falcons taking A.J. Terrell, again, maybe A.J. Terrell will turn out to be a much better player than I evaluated and be worthy of that pick. But to pass on a C.D. Lamb, to pass on a Clavion Chason, to pass on some of these other players that were available to take a player that I thought was, I don't know, early second round. Uh, that's where I had him. I, I mean, I think that was the main thing for me. And that's why Atlanta was at 32. But loved Marlon Davidson. I thought he uh, was worthy of late first round consideration. So I love that pick. Uh, Matt Hennessy. He's a starter in this league, a guard or center. So loved that pick in the third round. Day three, didn't love those picks. I thought Walker, well, I gave him a draftable grade. I liked him. Fourth round seemed a little bit early for him. We'll see how that works out. And the same thing with Hawkins. Uh, I gave him a PFA grade. Uh, so to see him going to fourth, I thought that was a little earlier than um, you know maybe most teams looked at him and viewed him and I'm not won't even touch the punter there in the seventh round, but uh, you know, somebody had to be 32 and it's just uh, unfortunately for Atlanta. I think that that first round pick was really the main thing there. Why, why they ended up 32 for me. Yeah. And some of these two, um, you know, a bunch of these teams down towards the bottom of the rankings, um, you know, even going up like Chicago at 22, Pittsburgh at 23, um, you know, Buffalo is at 24. These are, uh, there's a lot of teams in here that didn't have first round picks, uh, right. which I don't know if that played into your, uh, the way you evaluated this at all, but certainly, you know, if you're, if you're just comparing class to class to not pick till 54, like Buffalo did, you're going to be starting off from, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a deficit compared to some of these other teams. And, and again, you know, just looking, that's the one I have right in front of me, looking at Buffalo at 54, and they get AJ Epinesa with their first pick, right. which it is a really excellent value where they got him. You know, I don't know how many of their uh, day three guys are going to contribute right out of the gate, but um, you mentioned Gabriel Davis is someone who maybe comes in and fills out that that receiver depth chart. I think Isaiah Hodgins was their sixth round pick mm-hmm. has a chance to do the same. Um, you know, Dane Jackson was good value in the seventh. So again, uh, you know, just sort of uh, backing up uh, what you said here that there's guys really in every draft class that you can look at and say, all right, well, I see how that guy fits and how he could help Uh, looking. I think the thing that uh, even just glancing through the comments, people seem to be (laughs) most surprised about is that uh, green Bay is not 32. Um, And that draft was an interesting one. We talked about the Jordan love pick. We talked about what they did on day two with AJ Dillon and uh, Josiah Deguara from Cincinnati I did think they got a couple guys on day three that could help, but do you like Love? I mean, is that why he's – was that why Green Bay – not that they went that high. They went up to 28 in your rankings, but is that why they're not in the basement? What was uh, behind that ranking, I guess? Yeah, and, and they were 28th, so they were pretty far down there, uh, mostly because uh, A.J. Dillon and DeGuara, uh, you know, their two day two picks were, I thought, a little overdrafted. Um and I thought they did okay on day three. Um, Martin Runyon, which, by the way, how many Michigan players were drafted? Do you know that offhand? It, uh, was it 10? It was 10 or 11. 10? Yeah, it was definitely double was digits. It, I, think it, I think it was 10, and then uh, people were waiting on. People are st- I'm still seeing Twitter's up in arms that Shea Patterson is on uh, the roster yet. But I think it was 10. And, and what, four uh, offensive linemen? Picks, so, yeah. Was it four or five? Four offensive linemen and a lot. I mean, it was a day three. Was it was a big day three? So the, more draft <laughs> picks than wins last year. Like that. That that's got to bother you a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I was having this conversation with someone the other day, and that's why I I just mentioned the day three thing. Like, it's kind of interesting to see, like, because you know you see the names of the teams that had all those draft picks, and it's Michigan, Alabama, you know, LSU, mm-hmm. Ohio State, and the, those teams that were. Really, really good last year. We're getting guys off the board in rounds one and two, and then Michigan had a bunch of guys go on day three, and so it's that sort of just emphasized uh, kind of the issue where like there's clearly talent, uh, and they've clearly developed some guys, but there's still kind of a gap between you know their ten draft picks and the would LSU end up with twelve or thirteen, and it's guys going you know it's Burrow number one overall, and then a run of guys right. pretty early, so. 
but that that said, uh, as we're talking about the Green Bay class, like there were some solid Michigan guys there. And John Runyon, to me, is he's one of the guys you highlight on the Green Bay class. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty solid guard at the next level. Yeah, yeah, he's not his dad, but I, I agree. I mean, to get him in the sixth round, yeah, that I think that value was was there. And you know, just to get back to the Packers, um, you know, Jordan Love at twenty six or like do, did one of the reasons they're at twenty eight for me is because you know you this is a time where I still think they should be going for it, and you know, adding a receiver, adding a, a dynamic weapon somewhere that can help you win. I mean, this team made it to the NFC Championship game last year. So they're poised to do it again uh, this year, or at least be con- in contention. So to add a player that might not see the field for three years, you know, that, that's definitely questionable. But at the same time, I'm, I, I do like Jordan Love a lot. I, I think Jordan Love could end up being, you know, the next Aaron Rodgers. He has that ability. And so to sit for two, three years and to then get on the field – it might look like a no-brainer pick when we look back at this. So, you know, and you, you go back and look at the 2005 draft, uh, the, the grades, uh, a lot of people didn't like Aaron Rodgers being drafted in the first round. And, you know, they took immediate heat for that. But at the same time, it proved to be the right pick. Maybe, uh, you know, time will tell uh, if Jordan Love it could be end up being that guy. So, you know, it's always tough, again, with these instant reactions. But I was kind of torn on that because I, I do like Jordan Love as a player. I think he was my like 20th ranked player or something like that. Um, so I still like the player. But, yeah, you, I do understand the controversy there amongst fans in terms of drafting for the future and then drafting for a chance to uh, compete right away. Um, and there were there were a couple other teams that, you know, Seattle, they were they were at 29 for me. I you know, Jordan Brooks in the first round, that seemed like a little bit of a stretch. I like Jordan Brooks a lot. It just seemed like there's better value in the first round. Uh, Daryl Taylor in the set, in the top 50. Uh, I mean, Daryl Taylor's a guy that looks the part. He flashes the part. Just there's no consistency there. So if they, Seattle can get him to play with any consistency, that'll end up looking like a solid pick. But that's a big if. Uh, but there's a big reason why I thought Seattle was at 29 for me, but I did like a few of their day three picks. DJ Dallas, one of the better pass protecting backs in this draft. Colby Parkinson, um, you know, I they've got a pretty crowded tight end debt chart right yeah. now. But uh, a year from now, two years from now, Parkinson, you know, he might be their their go to guy at, at tight end. So Seattle is not one of my favorite, and then the New England too. And part of New England was not having the not having the first rounder. Um, and they also drafted the only player that was not in the beast. Uh, so that's an immediate oh. uh, knock down the board. Sorry. Is that the kicker? Uh, Justin, that uh, okay. yeah, the kicker. <laughs> yeah, just uh, transparency here. I, I do not spend much time looking at kickers and punters. I literally, I, I get from one of my buddies in the league, say, okay, send me your top 10 kickers, top 10 punters, top five long snappers. And, that's what goes in the beast. Um, and so they, this team did not think very highly of that Marshall kicker. Um, and so he did not make the beast. Uh, but uh, everyone else was in there that was uh, drafted. Not everyone had a, a write-up, but they were at least listed under the, the rankings. Uh, so I was, I was proud about that. Is that, uh, is that buggy a little bit? That they slipped one in there. It's it's like the stump the stump the truck game from <laughs> Mayock used to play. Yeah, no. Well, it happened. It happened last year with a long snapper. Minnesota drafted a long snapper in the seventh round. So I expanded my long snapper rankings from five <laughs> to ten this year. Uh, so the kickers might go to fifty. Uh, just yeah. just to make sure. <laughs> just uh, you know, exactly, exactly. I, just curious on like Seattle and the Patriots. And I don't know if if you'll be able to answer this or not. But like, how often would you say? you love the draft classes of those two franchises because those are teams yeah. that especially the patriots like they draft <laughs> right. the way they're gonna draft and they i'm sure they don't care what anyone else thinks and seattle really you know you go through and look at these picks and jordan brooks like if you knew jordan brooks went in round one and someone asked you to guess which team it had taken him seattle probably would have been top three of your <laughs> guesses you know it's yeah. just the way that they sort of do things and you know, New England too. The, the, like you said, the place kicker in uh, in round five, and uh, we talked about the doubling up on Uche and Jennings, and doubling up on tight end, and they, like it's just a very, uh, it felt very Belichickian 
draft. So I'm just curious if you, you know, are those teams where you really like some of their draft classes or it is always sort of like this? Yeah, it's always mixed with them. I mean, when you think of Seattle, you think Rashad Penny in the first or, you know, like they, they've had plenty of picks that haven't worked out. And even Bill Belichick, he's historically has not been the best drafter. What makes Bill Belichick such a, you know, obviously he's a, a Hall of Fame head coach, but what makes him such a, uh, you know, a, a really talented culture builder and roster builder is he's not afraid to cut a second round pick. He's not afraid to, uh, you know, use a Malcolm Butler and then play him over someone that's making more money or, you know, he's, he's going to let the, when they go to practice, they're going to bring in undrafted free agents. They're going to bring in players that were free agents and they're just going to, the best man plays, you know, they don't care at all. They don't play any type of favorites where some other places, uh, you know, if you're a draft pick, you're going to get a little bit more preferential treatment because you're, you want your draft picks to do well compared to someone you signed up just off the streets. And that's stubborn from, from a lot of GMs, but it happens. Um, so I, I do give Belichick credit for that. And that's, you know, obviously a big part of the Patriots. They just, you know, they find these guys, they plug them in and, you know, let the best man win. But a lot of their drafts, uh, yeah, they, they have not been, not, not been great. Um, and same thing with Seattle, but they, um, you know, obviously have done a, a great job there last year getting value like uh, DK Metcalf or, you know, they, they do a really nice job with value. So I think it's mixed from year to year with both those teams because to your point, they're just so unpredictable. I don't want to spend all our time at the bottom of this list because uh, especially because I know you probably hate spending time down at the bottom of this <laughs> list, but uh, a couple more just because the quarterbacks jump out and we spend so much time talking about the quarterbacks. The Chargers uh, at 27 had two first round picks and went Justin Herbert uh, at six and then moved up to get Kenneth Murray, the linebacker uh, at 23. We talked about that obviously a lot coming out of round one but they finished 27 for you and then the eagles at 25 a lot made of that jalen hurts pick at 53 they also um like really decided to lean into their needs at receiver here um i said there's some classes that you know this was probably a year and to go back to the packers for a second (laughs) this was a year that if you were going to double up on playmakers was probably a good one because there was so much receiver depth and i think that's Probably what Aaron Rodgers is sitting there looking. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. He couldn't have gotten right. one of these guys. But uh, so the Eagles go with three of them Jalen Rager in the first. And then they come back on day three and get John Hightower from Boise and uh, Quez Watkins from Southern Miss. Um, like I said, they're at 25. Los Angeles at 27. Uh, how, how much did the quarterbacks play into those rankings? Or were there other things that you didn't like about those classes? Yeah, both. Um, you know, with the Eagles, uh, you know, you're right. And they, all three of those receivers are speed guys. Um, uh, plus trading for, for Goodwin too from the 49ers. Goodwin, yeah. <laughs> so you have to wonder what that means for some of those guys already on the roster. You know, Alshon Jeffrey or, uh, the Stanford kid they drafted in the second round last year, who's not a speed guy, more of a size guy or say a white side. So that, that will be interesting how that all works out. Um, I, I, you know, with the Eagles, the Rager pick seemed the reason why I, I didn't love the Rager. I, I like Jalen Rager, I, I but taking him ahead of player receivers that I had ranked higher that that's that's just my issue. Again, that's self serving. It's it's highly subjective. Um, but to take Rager ahead of Jefferson, ahead of Ayuk, I, I thought that was um, a mistake. I would have taken those receivers. So that even though I do really like Jalen Rager, that's part of that. Um, Jalen Hurts. You know, I go back and forth on this because I really there's a part of me that likes this because we just have to wait and see how he's used. Are they going to use him um, in kind of that Taysom Hill role? Um, are they going to you know have special packages where he's going to be on the field and uh, you know option plays and using his legs, but also implementing um, passing plays into that? And then does Carson Wentz get banged up this year? And if he does, okay, then is Hurts going to see the field more? And if he does, does it work out? So. It's it, this is a very it's a pick that all these picks are wait and see, but especially a, a pick like this with Jalen Hurts. Um, and then you know Davion Taylor in the third, I you know it's uh, a little earlier than I would have taken him, but I, I get it. He and they got him outside the top 100 picks, so um, really just with those first two uh, with the Eagles, and then with the Chargers, yeah, it comes down to the quarterback. I 
I'm not a, I'm not, was not a huge Justin Herbert fan. Um, and I, I like him. I think he can be a solid player. I just think that, um, I just don't know. I'm not convinced he's a guy that's going to help lead you to division titles. Um, and then I like Kenneth Murray, but to trade a second, third rounder, uh, to go get him, uh, I'm torn on that as well, because as much as I like Murray and what he can bring to your defense, is he worth that value where you're essentially giving up two starters uh, for one linebacker? I just don't know if the value is going to be there. But I did really like what the Chargers did on day three. Joshua Kelly in the fourth. You add him to that backfield with uh, Eckler and uh, the Northwestern Northwestern kid, um, Justin Jackson. I, I think that that is something that fits really well. I love Joe Reed. Um, at, at the very least, he's going to be a big-time return man. And Aloe Gilman, uh, solid pick in the sixth. And then K.J. Hill, to get him at pick 220 in the seventh was just kind of silly. Like, I, I, I get it, 4-6-0 in the 40-yard dash, but you line him up in the slot, and he's he's going to find soft spots in the zone. He's going to be able to uncover and man. He doesn't drop passes. Um, just a, a very, very strange thing to see him fall that far. And especially because he was at the Senior Bowl and just shredded mm-hmm. everyone who covered him down there. Yeah. Like I thought on that that alone would offset some of the you know the size or the testing concerns because he was so good that week. And you just just watching them him against some of those cornerbacks there. I mean, he looks like a guy who's going to catch a lot of balls in the next level. Maybe he's not going to be a you know not average 15, 16 yards per catch, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being a you know if he finds a team and is a 60 70 catch guy somewhere down the line like he has that sort of safety valve ability to operate over the middle of the field and and outside the hash marks so yeah that was a surprise one for me for sure right and production can be a little overrated but nobody in ohio state history had more catches than kj hill and yes he's scheme specific um you know he's not gonna burn guys on the outside he's a slot player uh but i mean that's to see him fall that far was pretty surprising don't want to go through class by class here because I want people to go check out the the uh, the post ranking the classes one through thirty two. But uh, just we didn't get a chance really to spend any time on day three picks. We've hit a few of them here and just hoping to kind of build our way back up towards the top three again. Uh, quick shout out to the Bears for going back to back with Arlington Hambright and Lachavius Simmons, and uh, mm-hmm. that's got to be a Scrabble win right there for them. <laughs> All name draft for Chicago. Good point. But down here as we're uh, kind of building our way back up. I mentioned we had uh, Philadelphia at 25, Buffalo at 24. They took Jake Fromm on day three. was one of their bigger ones. But uh, just wondering if you could highlight a few names here that you liked in that third day for some of these classes that maybe overall you didn't love, but as we said, got some guys that should help. Yeah, I think uh, the Giants, yeah, getting Shane Lemieux in, in the fifth was a good value. They really did a nice job reshaping that offensive line with Andrew Thomas in the first, Matt Parrott in the third, and then to come back with Shane Lemieux uh, in the fifth round, uh, that, that was uh, a really good pick. And then the 49ers, uh, Juwan Jennings, talk about understanding what you do best and what you want. Uh, that just... They have, when you look at Debo Samuel, uh, what he does after the catch, they draft in the first round arguably the best after-the-catch receiver in this draft with Brandon Ayuk. And then they come back in the seventh and get Juwan Jennings, who, another uh, slow guy, but he's so big and physical, so tough, that he's going to break tackles. And so when you look at the 49ers depth chart at receiver and you see uh, you know, you see your Debo Samuel and your Brandon Ayuk on the outside. You see Juwan Jennings and say a Jalen Hurd on the inside. I they they've got guys with size. They've got guys uh, that you know they're different types of receiver. Different uh, when you look at them, just physically they look different. But they are all after the catch guys, and I think that's what um, you know really sh- stands out with what the the type of receivers that they've collected, including Jennings. So that made a ton of sense. Um, the the Raiders, uh, you know they. I had been mocking John Simpson to the Raiders uh, in the third round for a while because I I knew how they felt about him. Um, And the Clemson connection never hurts. But to get John Simpson then in the fourth round, uh, I was surprised that they passed on him for, uh, you know, the two receivers, Lynn Bowden, Brian Edwards, and then Tanner Muse. Uh, Raiders had three top 100 picks uh, within like 20 spots and none of them were John Simpson, but then they get him at one Oh nine in the fourth uh, round. That was a, uh, a, a pleasant surprise for them. 
Uh, and then they got a Meek Robertson as well in the fourth round, which I know he had the groin injury and he's small, but that seemed like uh, an absolute steal. So loved what the Raiders did on day three. Um, a couple other ones, uh, Colts, uh, Jordan Glasgow. I know I, I feel like I liked him more than a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I, I, did, I wasn't sure he was going to get drafted, but I, I thought, you know, to hear uh, Coach Harbaugh talk about him on special teams, I was like, okay, this guy's got a, a shot. And Colts drafted him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he played 10 years in the league because of what he does on special teams. That's a, that's a big part of uh, a lot of these guys um, in terms of making it and earning a roster spot. Um, the Bucks being able to get Tyler Johnson in the fifth round, that stood out as, as a nice, uh, nice addition for them. Um, I thought... You know, I last summer uh, argued with a lot of people who told me Tyler Johnson was a first round pick and this and he was never a first round pick. I don't think he was ever a top 100 pick, but somewhere on day three, he made sense and Bucks got him in the fifth round. I thought that's, you know, right around the range where he should have went. And, uh, you know, they've got a pretty crowded receiver depth chart, but that's OK. Tyler Johnson's not going to be forced into action. He's got a chance to earn his way and then possibly see the field, um, if not this season, then next. So uh, I thought that was a pretty good pick as well. Just real quick, do you have any sense for the Raiders took rugs, Bowden, Edwards, as you mentioned. They've already mm-hmm. got, you know, Hunter Renfro still there from last year. They've got this collection of kind of castoffs from other spot, Tyrell Williams, um, which I don't I don't know if that's fair to really label him a castoff. He's a good NFL receiver. But Zay Jones, Nelson Aguilar's on that roster. Like, do you have any idea how they could use those three draft picks together, Ruggs, Bowden, and Edwards? I mean, do you see Edward or Bowden being like, is he going to be another slot guy for them? Is he going to be a whatever he was? Like, well, he might be a running back. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, they may actually use him in the backfield. Um, and then I know they really liked him on special teams as well. So, you know, even, you know, you draft Henry Ruggs and as good explosive as he is, you don't necessarily want your first round pick, your 12th overall pick returning punts. So, that's where Lynn Bowden comes in and, you know, he had uh, some touchdowns on special teams at Kentucky. He can serve that role uh, and, you know, has a little more physicality to him than a Henry Ruggs. He can take some hits. And so uh, I think as a, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he is the starting uh, punt returner for the Raiders uh, very early in the season. And then they utilize him uh, on certain gadget plays uh, in the backfield and the slot. So I, I think they'll be creative with him. Um, and, you know, they, they do have a crowded receiver depth chart, but they get Brian Edwards at 81, uh, very good value at that point. I'm just uh, sort of trying to go through these and do the mental math because I didn't rank mine 1 to 32. I think just looking at it, I, I maybe like the Pittsburgh class a little more than you did. Okay. And they didn't have a first-round pick. They didn't pick till 49, took Chase Claypool, and then they didn't pick again to 102. But they got Alex Highsmith. Anthony McFarland's a really interesting player in my mind i think he especially in that backfield uh, you know as a compliment to james connor uh you highlighted kevin dotson i think antoine brooks is the guy who helps you on special teams at least uh and then the arizona one maybe i liked a little bit more too which uh isaiah simmons is that yeah maybe it's tipping the scales for me because of how much i like isaiah simmons um but skipping over the josh jones one doesn't even necessarily do it for me i like what they did beyond that day three for them uh, going Lecky Fotu and Richard Lawrence back to back, getting Evan Weaver who just tackles everything, uh, and Eno Benjamin was in that another guy right in that like that grouping. Geno Stone, KJ Hill, Eno Benjamin was someone I thought was going to go higher than where he did at two twenty two. So um, I thought they got pretty nice value on that last day. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and you know, with the Steelers, I, I think one of the main reasons they were lower for me, besides not just having that first rounder, um, I, I thought you know Denzel Mims uh, was better than Claypool. Um, yeah, so I, Claypool in the top fifty was just a little rich for me. But I did like the Highsmith pick a lot, and yeah, I think you're right about Dotson too. He, uh, it's funny in my report on Dotson, I I wrote that he plays like a pissed off club bouncer and. <laughs> He turns out he actually was a bouncer, uh, which I did not know that. So it fit really well. Um, and then with the Cardinals, yeah, you know what? I I struggled with this one because I I didn't necessarily love what they did on day three. Uh, it was okay. Um, I wasn't a biggest Evan Weaver fan, and uh, but to get Isaiah Simmons at one and Josh Jones at three, I mean, I you can make a case that they were a top ten class. Uh, so you know, I have 
no arguments with anybody who thought the Cardinals should have been a little higher on this list. What I mean, as you've gone through this, was there any, uh, let's just stick to the top 10. Was there any, uh, any of these classes, maybe the Cardinals, maybe another team where you thought, uh, this was a top 10 class. Did, was there any team that stood out as, you know, I, I, I left them out of my top 10 when, when they should have been included. The one for me, and I, again, I just, I didn't go through and like, oh, this team should have dropped. Like, I wouldn't take this team right. out of the top 10. But the one that for me that I, is Carolina at 12, which they're obviously not far from the top 10. But I, you know, Derek Brown was someone we talked about maybe being the number three pick. And I know people have some questions about what he's going to be as a pass rusher. But I personally, I, I'm willing to bet on him at least providing something as a pass rusher. He's going to be really good against the run. Uh, they got Eder Gross Matos. And Jeremy Chin in round two. I thought that was a good back-to-back. Um, we talked about Kenny Robinson coming from the XFL ranks over. They got him in round five. Uh, and Troy Pride is a solid cornerback in round four. So that was a class that I thought, you know, um, at least... All defensive top- players. Yeah. And, they, and, and that's really interesting, too. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but I, I thought overall, you know, just in terms of the type of talent they got and... Uh, you know, the value they got at some of those picks. I thought there that was a, a good class. But yeah, that is that's interesting to not take anyone on offense. I don't know how often that happens that you go all one side of the ball in the draft. Yeah, and maybe someone's already done this uh research, but I don't know how many teams uh, ever in the history of the draft had at least seven draft picks and uh went all seven draft at least all seven on one side of the ball. I, I can't imagine it's happened more than a few times ever. Just uh really Really surprising to see that. And they did have one, uh, he did draft one of his former players with Bravion Roy, the defensive tackle, uh, from Baylor. So, uh, Matt Rule, someone that he's pretty familiar with. Um, and, you know, I, some of these teams, and, and like I said, I, to not dra- put some of these teams in my top 10, like it, it hurt me a little bit because I thought they did a really nice job. Like, uh, you look at the Chiefs with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I mean, that was one of my favorite, favorite picks in the entire draft, uh, just because it's such a, Perfect fit. You know, I, Brian Westbrook was always my comparison for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Andy Reid gets a, you know, his new and improved version of that in Kansas City, like just like he had in Philadelphia. So loved that pick. Um, the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, to, and if anyone, not to plug other people's, uh, you know, writing, uh, but, uh, Peter King did a really nice job. He was part of the Bucks, um, uh, their uh, their virtual war room type of deal. And so he did a nice write-up uh, this morning. It's really interesting to see how they were trying to trade up into the top, top 10, 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, just try to getting up there to get one of those tackles. And they finally were able to get up there. And it was at number 13, one pick ahead, and the, to get worse, get one of the quote-unquote big four. So really like that. Um, Kashawn Vaughn in the third was a little bit of a surprise over some other running backs. Um, they were able to get Antoine Winfield. So I thought the Bucks did a pretty nice job as well. Speaking of plugging stories about the draft, I'll just mention, I know I talk about the Lions coverage, but I, and this is Lions coverage, but I have a story up right now on the, uh, the, the RV that parked in Bob Quinn's driveway yeah. <laughs> uh, and the guy who was in there and sort of how that all happened and uh, all the process that went into it and uh, it's pretty interesting to hear how they got that all set up and why they wanted to do it. So that's up right now at the Athletic that's awesome. as well. That's um, awesome. Any of those top 10 teams that people, again, I don't know how much time you're spending in the comments, but that people are surprised you had ranked that high or any teams that you liked up there more than you initially thought you liked it as the draft was unfolding? Um, you know, like a team like some of these were very top heavy or so like the, the Redskins made my top 10. Even though, you know, I didn't love some parts of their draft, but when you get Chase Young, that just, it, it's a, it's a weight that is going to keep you in the top 10. It doesn't, because you got the best player in the draft. So they could have bombed the rest of their draft and they still would have been fairly high for me because you're getting a potential all pro player. I mean, that's just how highly I think of, of Chase Young. So I'm not sure how other people felt about that. Uh, you know, it, and it's, it's doing something like this. I don't take into account the fact that the Cardinals got, DeAndre Hopkins with their second round pick, you know, like that doesn't factor into these rankings. It's just purely what draft picks did you have? What'd you do with them? And what are the results? And the Dolphins, they, you know, several of these teams in the top 10 just had a lot of draft picks and that just, that's going to, you know, inherently get them up very high. Like the Dolphins, 
uh, going with Tua at number five. That's something that um, I applaud them for taking that chance and that risk. And, um, you know, it's something that is we'll see how it pays off. It's certainly a, a dice roll, but you, you roll the dice on really talented players. So um, and what I was saying about the Redskins with Chase Young, I'd probably say something similar uh, about the Bengals with Joe Burrow at the top, although I did really like what they did. The three linebackers they drafted, uh, I, I really like the value they got with Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis-Gaither, Marcus Bailey. I mean, I would, wouldn't be shocked at all if all three of those guys end up starting at some point um, over their rookie contracts. And then Khalid Kareem, I was a big fan of him at Notre Dame, just a, a really physical edge setter. Um, you know, he's he's not going to give you a ton of sacks, but you still need guys that are going to be physical versus run and be part of your rotation. And then Akeem Adenije from Kansas versatility is key with him. So really like what the Bengals did as well. Yeah, that Miami draft, and you know, we talked about them being able to get Tua at five and not have to move for him. But I thought a lot of what they did on day three was uh was pretty mm-hmm. nice too. You know, Jason Strobridge and Curtis uh, Weaver. Curtis Weaver, those Fifth those round. were that, that was yeah. Do you any idea what happened there? It's funny because he <laughs> you talk to people and he he is your classic bad body guy. Everybody says bad body. That, and that's what you get <laughs> yeah. with Curtis Weaver. And he's not a great athlete. There's a reason he did not run the 40-yard dash at the combine. Um, it wasn't medical related. It's just because he knew he wasn't going to run a great time. Um, but at the same time, a guy that had you know double-digit tackles for loss each of the last three years had more sacks than anybody in the history of the Mountain West Conference. Uh, a guy that rushes with energy. He uses his hands well. Um, I did not think he was a top 50 player in this draft. Um, and I've beat him up pretty good throughout the process because he's far from a perfect player. But I thought he was worthy of a top 100 draft choice at some point, especially at that position. So to see him fall at a 164, that that was a surprise. Uh, and I guess I'll take over here, classic dad body. Not to <laughs> not to not to separate it too much, but um, uh, so we do, we've got that post up. Favorite draft classes, definitely go check that out. You also published. Uh, your 2021 mock draft uh and again i hope when this is all over you're just going to be binging netflix or something for like a week straight uh, <laughs> yeah there, there will be a time where um, i just i have to take a step away but i we'll get back into it soon enough um yeah this yeah. doing a 2020 mock like this is it's more of a watch list than anything like you know yes sure. i'm using this the, the teams and people will you know, gripe about their team not being 32 or their team being top 10, whatever. I just took the Super Bowl odds, flipped it, and that's that's the order. So Jacksonville, sorry, you're picking first. That's just just how the Super Bowl odds are <laughs> right now. Uh, but good news, you get Trevor Lawrence. Um, and you know, there's you know, our, our Lindsey Jones had a good piece today about how um, the 2021 draft, how everything's going to be affected. You know, do we have a college football season? Are we going to see more uh, kids enter the supplemental draft this summer? Uh, there's a lot of things moving, you know, moving parts with this, the, 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 the quarantine and the virus and everything that we don't know what the next draft cycle is going to look like. It's not just this draft cycle that's going to be affected. It's it's next as well. So I encourage people to check out that piece. Um, but when it comes to this mock draft, um, did, did you did you find yourself reading it and just yelling out, "Well, that's a reach," or uh, "No, no way <laughs> no, that not, happens." <laughs> not, nothing like that. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I, I still get uh, the Detroit beat writers still give me uh, it, it floats on Twitter every year around this time because I used to have to do these the day after for um, Sports Illustrated, right? And, at and uh, Brad Kaya was definitely among my, uh, my yeah Miami pretty high uh for the first round for the next year and then he went sixth round maybe i think um (laughs) so i that's that one still gets tossed in my face a little bit so i'm not going to judge any of these picks too too early on here i I mean it is um anything you want to spotlight up at the top we've talked i mean we haven't talked much about the 2021 class but obviously you know there's going to be assuming there's uh, a college football season and there'll be a lot of attention on uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, Justin Fields at Ohio State, like those. Uh, we're talking probably uh, your Heisman favorites, two teams that are going to be right in the national championship hunt again. But besides those two, um, you've got a linebacker in the top five. I mean, any other any other guys that jump out for you out here that people really need to pay attention to as we move forward? 
Uh, well, I, I first of all put Jamar Chase to the Bengals at number four. I just because I just want to see it. And you're welcome, Bengals fans. Reuniting <laughs> Chase with Joe Burrow that just that would be awesome. Um, you know, we don't know how much longer AJ Green will be there, but T Higgins, Jamar Chase, and the rest of the crew they already have that'd be that'd be fun to watch. Um, yeah, yeah, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, two quarterbacks. That's that's, that's the main guys, uh, and they're the only quarterbacks that made this. You know, Trey Lance from North Dakota State is another name to watch. I know plenty of scouts are excited about his potential. Um, I did not include him in this, but he's a guy that has some buzz. Um, the as much as we talked about last year's class for receivers, this year's class for receivers has a chance to be just as special, if not more. There were seven receivers in this first round mock. Uh, two from Alabama, just like last year, um, and uh, a few other pretty good ones. Uh, Penn State has, has uh, two guys in the top eleven picks. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of names that I think college football fans are aware of. Um, you know, Alabama's well represented. A guy like uh, Dylan Moses, who we thought would be a top ten pick this year, but has the ACL injury. We'll see. Hopefully, he can stay healthy because he'll be a first round pick next year if he stays healthy. Um, uh, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama, who we thought might have been a top 50 guy if he had declared, but he went back. So maybe he can turn himself into a first rounder. Uh, a lot of, like I mentioned, all the, a lot of receivers and three big Big Ten receivers uh, with Chris Olave from Ohio State, Rashad Bateman, Minnesota, Rondale Moore, Purdue, um, and a lot of other names. I, I just hope people treat this as a as a watch list of of guys to watch, guys to have on your radar. Um, you know, I want to give away too many names. Hopefully people uh, log in and check it out. Yeah, kind of interesting too. Um, you, you know, wide receiver looks looks deep again. Mm-hmm. But uh, tight end, we talked about this tight end class this year as yeah. not being one that sort of jumped off the page. And you've got uh, Pat Fryermuth, who we talked on a couple shows because, um, you know, he was kind of on the fence about whether he'd go pro this year went back and now you've got him in at, at number 11 and then uh Kyle Pitts from Florida you've got in here uh, I think you have a third tight end I yeah, don't want to jump. oh yeah down to 32 yeah um so you've got three tight ends in the in the first you know the quote-unquote first round for next year right. uh so that class looks uh maybe a little more top heavy than uh this year's was yeah, and I, I think that's that's definitely a, a good observation because uh, we talked about what Komet made or what what it meant to this tight end class. Um, you know, Komet was what the only tight end drafted top top eighty, I think maybe. Um, and so you know, we had a couple sneak into that third round, Aussie Aussie and Troutman, but um, yeah, it was just not a very top heavy group. Where next year, if these guys hit. Uh, you know, reach their potential, which you know they, they what they've shown up to this point says they 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 might. Then yeah, we could be talking about two, maybe even three tight ends in the first round. Um, but yeah, and, and there's a lot of good names on here. I, I made sure and gave Christian Barmore to Baltimore. Um, I that, that was fun. Um, I think that that fits for the <laughs> Alabama connection, but also the the Barmore Baltimore connection. Um, and there's a lot of good names in here. Like one running backs in there. Um, yes, it's SEC heavy. But, you know, Pac-12's in there. The ACC's got a few guys. Wake Forest, Florida State, um, you know, they're, they're represented on this. Oregon uh, on defense is represented on this. Miami has two players uh, on this list. Um, so a lot of, you know, guys, it seems you'd expect represented. LSU, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, those guys. But also some other um, maybe off-the-radar names that, um, you know, non-college football fans aren't really acquainted with yet. Well, we started uh, this show, I believe, talking quarterbacks as we always do, and so I guess we can wrap the uh, 2020 draft season and start peeking ahead to 2021 by finishing with the quarterbacks. Lawrence and Fields in the first, but that's it for the QBs that you've got in this 2021 mock. So, um, you know, who else is up there for you? Is it Newman? Is it uh, Kellen Mond? I mean, there, there are other names that uh, people should have an eye on once we get going here again with college football. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't been the biggest Mond fan. We'll see how he develops this come upcoming year for A&M. Um, yeah, Newman transferring to Georgia. We'll see what that looks like. Uh, really eager to see. You know, he was so productive at Wake Forest and really liked what he did. But, um, you know, going to the SEC, going to a new program, obviously that's, you know, there's a little bit of a jump there. And we'll see how he does. Um, Trey Lance from North Dakota State was a guy I mentioned as a player who, 
you need to keep on your radar, uh, even from the FCS level. Um, he's he, he is a really talented player who is super productive. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, we talk about him as a uh, a guy that could possibly sneak into that first round. Um, and then just, you know, the top seniors, I, I think it starts with Newman. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett at Pitt's got some talent. Um, uh, Jack Cohn from Wisconsin. Um, you know, there's plenty of teams that are high on him. And eager to see how Kyle Trask, uh, how he can develop, who... It seemed like, I mean, he, whenever he was on the field, he was pretty productive for Florida. Um, he doesn't have a have a gun, and that's the thing is his arm is average, but he anticipates pretty well. And, I mean, that was the biggest takeaway I took from watching Kyle Trask was how well he can anticipate down the field and make some of those throws. Um, if he eliminates some of the bad decisions and um, can show that he can mask his average, average arm – then uh, I might have something there in terms of an NFL future. Well, only like 340 days till the next beast comes out. Oh, uh, God. I just... Athletic, so... <laughs> Anxiety already. <laughs> not to set up... I was going to say, not to set up a <laughs> panic attack. Uh, but the, as I said at the start of this show, um, we, we really can't uh, thank you enough for... For listening all through this draft season and through the through the football season as well, the past few months have been a lot of fun doing the show. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've learned a lot, especially listening to Dane and our uh, guests that we've had in here, kind of breaking down uh, all these guys who now are headed to the NFL, and we'll round out these draft classes that we'll be talking about for the next few years. So um, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I, like I said, I hope we uh, can come back and do it again next year but we really do thank everyone who's uh listened and who's subscribed and who's helped us here certainly kent garrison deserves a big shout out to our producer i mention him every week but um you know we couldn't do this without him and uh the turnaround on these shows is always pretty impressive we've we finished recording and they're ready to go live uh like within the hour so uh we got to give him a thanks before we definitely sign off uh for a while for sure, for sure. Uh, and, and to you too, Chris, for kind of guiding the ship and uh, making me sound better. So much, much appreciated to Kent, to Chris, and to, to all the listeners. You guys are awesome. Uh, yeah, let's, let's bring this back here. And uh, at some point here in an early summer, we'll start talking about next year's draft. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So again, that'll wrap us up for uh, the 2020 NFL draft here on the uh, Prospects to Pros podcast. So for Kent Garrison, And Dane Brugler, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening all year, and we'll talk to you soon. 